What's up, world? I was going to save this for episode 100, but since there is a lull before FCC restarts play again, now is as good a time as any. So for episode 98, we have the first and most likely only interview in KLR history with a living, breathing person. It's former vice president of communications for FC Cincinnati, Liz Summers. So listen and learn. And thanks to Liz again for talking to me for a lengthy interview. All right. Listen on. For the first time in KLR history, we are with a living, breathing guest. The pride of Liz, you say Boston. The pride of Boston. Liz Summers. Liz, I've had so many fake interviews, like I told you, over the years. How does it feel to be the first real person on the podcast? I mean, I'm I'm certainly honored. Um, a little scared. We'll work through all the emotions over the next little bit, I'm sure. Please. I feel like I ever got to ask everybody, have you been quarantining well? Are you out there flaunting life and limb for human interaction? Definitely in Cincinnati have stayed kind of close to the close to the homeland, only venturing out for the necessities. But I did go home for almost a month. I was back up in the Boston area uh, and but pretty much hung out with family. And Massachusetts was kind of one of the worst hit states early on. And they're recovering very well. So I wasn't as scared, but I spent about a week on the Cape, a week at home, uh, a week on the South Shore with one of my best friends who was up from D.C. and then uh, drove back. I did not fly, did not want to risk that at all. Uh, and then drove down to Philly to visit one of my best friends and then drove back. Well, right before I pressed you record, might... you sneezed several times. You let out a long smoker's cough, several other and things. And said, I can't taste my drink at all. <laughs> it needs to be stronger. Yes. You held up a Glade plug into your face that I can't smell a thing. Yep. I'm not ready. No, to uh, that was one of the things like being in the testing protocol helped. So I was pretty aware. And from after that, uh, kind of staying at home. And so Look I'm back us. in Cincy. Just two healthy people. Hopefully <laughs> knock on some wood. There you go. Uh, like I've always known Boston through and through. <laughs> Never had a doubt. Always do your Boston. Uh, from what little I've been able to gather from your small amount of public information on your Facebook page. You went to Boston College. I did. I'm a double eagle. Proud double eagle. I don't know what that means. That means you have two degrees from Boston College. Hey. My undergraduate and my MBA. What was the undergraduate in? Uh, Economics. And that went through about midway through my junior year until I realized economics had far more math than I ever thought. Uh, And I don't, math and I don't really get along. Uh, So I switched to communications and boosted my GPA significantly in my last three semesters and graduated with a double, uh, double degree. We already have so much in common. I uh, got a 60% on my math GED test uh, after I dropped out of high school. So I feel like <laughs> MBA business, <laughs> we got we got that going on. And then right out of college, you're doing PR communication stuff. Or was there anything before that? No, that it was in college and then right after. It was at BC. I stayed at BC for a couple of years, um, worked with them. Uh, Actually, Cincinnati should be well aware my, with Miami of Ohio being so close. Um, BC's a big, obviously, they at the time, big, big East football, big East basketball, but also very good hockey team, college hockey. And I worked with them for a couple of years and then uh, kind of went off different part of the country, came back. And that's when I got into soccer, needed a small break, went back to BC, kind of back to the motherland, homeland. Uh and then got recruited out here to Cincinnati and fell in love with this charming city. You just zipped right past. Sorry. So I'm giving much. you opportunities to dive into more areas. <laughs> I, 
I in PR, we tell people to tell your story. Tell the story you want to tell. And I don't really have a bunch of Boston College questions per se. I would just okay. I'm trying I've to make it a nice a lot of my life there. A nice time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I do have a Boston College question before we get off. I wrote this because this was too important. There's a Boston College alumni party. The ballroom catches on fire. It's in a ballroom. Matt mm-hmm. Ryan. Doug Flutie and Luke Keekley are inside. You can only save one. Liz. Who are you carrying out? I don't. You have is, some reason of special ability, but you can carry. Is one Brian Gianta also at this party? Is that a, is that a person? He's a hockey player. You'd think I would know a college. I guess I could have researched something, but these are just the Boston College players. I mean, if you give me head. only those three, the only one of that three I haven't met or worked with is Luke, but I have never. I mean. <sighs> I've Luke never die. heard a negative comment about new, about Luke in my life. And Matt has always been a gentleman and I've never heard a bad thing about him. I've worked with Doug. He I started mean, doing Notre Dame games. What's up with that? Did that he hurt? did, but I do think that this is a Cincinnati based audience. So I probably have to save Luke. That's fair. I haven't met him though. So that could be, you know, that's just based off reputation. But know? soccer, did you like soccer before you worked in soccer or did you, were you forced into loving it? No, I actually hated soccer. I was the typical, like, middle America American who hated soccer. Didn't understand it. No score. Why would you watch that game? I, I loved hockey. I've loved hockey my whole life. Loved basketball for a stint. Loved baseball for a stint. Have always loved football. But why would you love soccer? Um, and then at BC, when I first worked there, I had to work with them on the men's team. And within about three weeks between the personalities and just watching the game and just constant action and no breaks – I fell in love with the sport. Uh, so it worked with men's soccer. When I worked at Texas, they didn't have men's soccer. I still don't understand that. Uh, so I worked with the women. And then one of my best friends from good old BC asked me if I knew anyone who'd want to be a revolution comms manager or comms coordinator at the time. And I was getting ready to leave Austin and said, well, you know what? I think I know someone. And that happened to be me. Look at that. You just weaved your story so perfectly. I came back. So seamlessly. Uh, came back. I did ask you about that St. Louis logo earlier, but the real mm-hmm. roundabout way for that is, did you, as somebody, you know, semi-important position within the revolution ever say, <laughs> was, you could, you could have, you could get an ear of somebody. Should we change the crayon flag logo or have you grown to love it i mean you, i've grown to love it just because that was such a significant portion of my life and it just like it was but i don't know if this is i think it's public knowledge the thought process was always rebranding and having a new logo once the new stadium came along and if you know anything about land acquisition in the new england area specifically in the boston area of course I do. there huge. is not much land available it is very densely built um, so I give a ton of credit to Mr. Kraft and Jonathan Kraft trying to find enough space in Boston to fit a soccer specific stadium because the passion up there for the sport is incredible. They're brilliant men. They're brilliant sports business practice practitioners. Um, so they're going to do the right thing, put the stadium in the right spot once there is enough land available for them to build it because that is a definitive problem. Um, I don't think you have many New England fans listening to this podcast, but how dare you definitely. There could be 10 more um, years with that grand logo at that point. <laughs> Once you've given but, yourself the out of, well, when there's a new stadium, you can just keep kicking that can yeah. down the road. But my understanding, at least when I left the organization, was that the uh, rebrand would come with the new stadium. So uh, following your story arc, you leave New England. Was mm-hmm. it weird coming from New England, who's been in MLS 
since the beginning to like this team that's like completely new ish and everybody's super amped because it's a brand new thing like a new toy in cincinnati what was it was it like a weird transition going from you know i don't i don't know much about new england but it seemed like at least a steady line without saying anything bad (laughs) but not a lot as much ebb and flow while fcc uh for as bad as the first season when everyone you know it was on like a i'm not going to admit it was the draw like that was the draw to come here i after i left new england it just i my job got stale um, and it was tied to the stadium. Like my job wasn't going to change until we got the new stadium and I had to do almost all the traveling. And for anyone that's worked for their job, uh, especially to be on the road, the equivalent of three to four months a year, it's tough. And I just needed a break and kind of simultaneously to that, you know, I got a call from my old boss at BC that said, Hey, we're looking to make some changes here. Are you interested in coming back? It kind of all lined up. But then kind of got frustrated, missed soccer, missed kind of the the uniqueness that MLS is, reached out to a bunch of folks, including New England, U.S. soccer, MLS. There were a few opportunities, but none were just the right opportunity for me. And then all of a sudden in mid-January, I literally heard the name of Cincinnati three times in two days. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And in this, I'm in the middle of hockey season. It's super busy, not paying attention to what's happening in MLS. And I was like, what is going on in Cincinnati? So randomly having heard this in two days, I texted Twelman and was like, dude, what is going on out there? And, and I'd heard about the open cup game and I may have even watched it. I can't remember, but he's just like, no, they're getting an MLS team. And this was January of 18. And I was like, no way. He's like, no, like legit, they're getting an MLS team. Why? And I was like, well, people have come up to me about a job there. And he's like, you have to do it. Like, it's going to be incredible. It's not going to be what you're used to. It's going to be what you've wanted. Hold on. Let me text Jeff Birding, the president. Give me 10 minutes. Text me back. Jeff Birding's expecting your phone call. Call him. Send me your resume. Left a message for Jeff. He called me back that night. We set up a time to talk a few days later. The 20-minute phone call turned into two hours. I didn't really want anyone to know that I was thinking of leaving BC. So I think I was sitting in a car in a school parking lot in my hometown. He was at a coffee shop, um, said that Lindsay was in the car waiting for him. We, he was expecting 20 minutes. We literally almost went two hours and based, and he told me the whole business plan for even just the USL. And I was floored and flabbergasted for the ambition of the club. And that was something you want to do. Not that New England had no ambition because I was certainly aware of what was happening, but you get into a rut where you're the second tenant in your own building, Boston outside of maybe Philly, maybe Chicago is one of the biggest sports cities in the country. You lead the news every day with either politics or sports. It's just huge. And the revolution were kind of cut behind a few other teams, just a few who'd all won championships in the last few years. So the opportunity and kind of the interest of what was going on here was certainly piquing my interest. We talked some more. Asked, he asked me at the end of the conversation what I thought. And I said, this is incredible. This is exactly the situation I'd want to come back to. But it's Cincinnati. Because in my head, Cincinnati was this like dilapidated Rust Belt town. I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about the renaissance that was happening. Nothing about the growth with the Fortune 500s that were here. Um, and he said, if that's the case, give me a weekend. come out here. Let me show you around. And I said, sure. We worked it out. I came out for about 36 hours. It was about 30 degrees and snowing, but he drove me around and told me enough of the story. And I met with enough people that I got it. I understood why Cincinnati was getting a club. 
signed on, had a little bit of a delay just because some of the teams I was working with got here in May. And literally the second day, my phone call was to the league office saying, let's plan this expansion announcement. So you'd already flipped it on Jeff. He was already instantly recruiting you, not the other way around. You gave him his resume, but it sounds like you were the one being courted. I, I mean, I think it was a little of both. I think the league knew I wanted to come back into, into the sport. Um, U.S. soccer knew I wanted to come back into a, a sport. The Revs knew there were a few opportunities, but the fact, having spent so much time in the league and knowing ownership groups and knowing ambition of clubs and knowing what cities I wanted to live in uh, or what type of situation I wanted to live in made a big difference. I could be a little choosy. It was really the visit out here that sold me and to see what Cincinnati is. I joke that Cincinnati is everything you love about the Northeast without everything you hate about the Northeast. The weather, the traffic, the people, the cost of living. I've really fallen in love with the city. So it made a lot of sense. We're not perfect, Liz. Okay. As much as no one is, but it's even my mother who is dyed in the wool, Bostonian, born and raised her entire life. She comes out and visit me. She's looking for positions out here too. You come out here, you spend some time, you fall in love. So I certainly have. Could you name one thing that you actually knew about Cincinnati before? Because I, I mean, I've been here my whole life, so I can't no. really see from anywhere else. I, I will say this. One of my roommates, when I worked at Texas, worked at, is from Cincinnati and worked at Kentucky. I had a three-bedroom house, and he just moved in because I had extra bedrooms. And I remember one day, he made Cincinnati-style chili. And he made the spaghetti, and he made from scratch the chili, and put so much cheese on this one bowl that I looked at him and went, what the hell are you doing and about to eat? He's like, no, 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 it's a Cincinnati thing. And I was like, oh, good for you. That is disgusting. So that is probably all I knew about Cincinnati. <laughs> you didn't try it at that up. moment? <laughs> no, you just... no, 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 <laughs> not at all. Um, so that's pretty much all I knew. I, I Honestly, I think it was Jeff's conversation and then the visit out here. You know, I've grown up on beaches and by water my whole life and to have the river here. It's there. In terms of swimming or boating or anything else. You cross but it. It's to have it here. I mean, the city's beautiful. It's a bigger city than I ever thought it would be. You know, my experience in Ohio had been Columbus. So this is much more of a city to me than Columbus happens to be. I'll proudly proclaim Cincinnati from my perch as much as I can. What? Are you central? East? West? Central-ish. East side. I know you're not west. I, I shouldn't even ask. Nobody moves to Cincinnati and moves to the West Side, even though there's nice. No, I did. When I was doing my research, though, it was like, what is what is this thing about the East and West? Because in Boston, like there's various suburbs that you want to maybe that haven't been built back up again or kind of had the recovery or the revival that some other neighborhoods have. So I didn't really understand East versus West at all. Jeff and, and FCC had brought me out for the first two games of the 18 season to kind of come but I needed to get an apartment or a place before then. Uh, so I actually got my place on a FaceTime tour. I don't want to forget this, but we joke a lot about when a new player would come to FCC, the first thing they do is like <laughs> take them to Skyline and film them. So how do you oh, feel? You mean like you I ha- did with Jurgen Lakadia? Yeah. I mean, every, everyone's, it's like a rite of path. It's like walking across the hot coals after seeing your friend make the concoction that was a normal dish to us. How do you feel now about uh, the forced skyline consumption? Well, <laughs> I like, will give it's credit. Like either one A or one B on what a new player is like. Have you had skyline? Yet? I mean, you do it. I mean, they're also a club partner, so you do it for multiple That's reasons. <laughs> My whole point, and especially Jurgen, is probably for me the most recent example. I said you're going to get asked, "Do you want to lie or do you want to tell the truth?" 
I don't care how much you eat, but so long as you take one bite, you can say you were tried it. Um, so that's what we did with Jurgen that day. I had to also eat it to ensure that he ate it. So we was had it little... more than one bite for him or was it just the solitary? <laughs> no, I'd say he had a couple because he wasn't quite sure what the first one was. That's fair. Um, and it was Coney's. They say it takes but three times. The Well, I was going to say, Matt Schisler, who I'm sure all FC Cincinnati fans was on my staff. And I remember DJ Schweitzer was the first one who introduced me to Skyline my first year. I wasn't quite sure. I took a bite. I didn't get this whole cinnamon part of it because that was all I tasted at first. And then Matt Schisler was like, Skyline is like dating. It's It takes three times. It's like the first time you're like, eh, can't judge it on once. Let's try it the second time. If you can get through the second time, you get to the third time and the third time you're in love or whatever the, you know. The no, I get is. it. You're bathing in um, Skyline after that, pretty much. I would say I'm on like my 30th, 40th date. I'm still not in love with <laughs> Cincinnati chilling. It might be time um, to give up. It's okay. You know, I don't know but I will yourself. eat it. I will eat it. And I think part of it has to do that, you know, I almost prefer the beans and the chili and the cheese as opposed to kind of the other concoctions. I'll eat a Coney, but I can only eat one. So I feel like I'm wasting the experience at that point. At New England, was there as much of a fan-driven let's say podcasts or non traditional media outlets that you were dealing with. I use dealing with either positively or annoyed by as when you came to Cincinnati. <laughs> was there, no, was... I think it's, it's to be fair. I think it's two different scenarios. I, I coined the term in the league adopted independent radio or independent media was what we called them. Or I termed it just because I didn't want to say non-traditional. I didn't want to say non legit, like independent kind of fit it, it's either fans or it's former media members who form their own establishment you know at that point a lot of the media transitions and, and downsizing and started so there were some really phenomenal journalists and media members who were going into non-affiliated outlets and yes we had the boston globe we had the boston herald we had the five tv stations six tv stations hey um we did have a decent amount of independent media who were, you know, revolution specific, soccer specific. I would say that they tried to be super professional and some were trained and some were not. So a lot of that was kind of an education process of, hey, you want credentials, you want access. The deal is use us as resources. If you have a question, ask the question. We're here for you. It doesn't help anyone to put out inaccurate information or posits on theories or just guessing. Just work with us. You ask questions. I, I don't really fib very well. I don't hide the truth or hide what I know very well. I think it's kind of one of the, the best things about me. I tend to tell my superiors. But if I know something and someone asks a question, I'm going to answer it in the best manner in which I can to help them. Um, I do believe in rewarding people who do the legwork, who do the work, who make the connections, who find out information and want to confirm it. I think that that's a really valuable asset. Um, and I've tried to work with all my staffs to kind of reinforce that, that you want to reward folks who do the work and make the connections to, to kind of dig up information. Here, I've had to learn a little bit more of the seeding information and working folks to drop it a bit more. In Boston, it's an ultra competitive media market. You have two main dailies. You have six TV stations, if not more. Cincinnati is not quite there to that extent. So it's a little bit different media relationship. 
but towards the end, I understood it a lot better, learned to work a lot better. I think in a major top 10 market, you're doing a little bit more duck and cover. And in uh, slightly smaller markets, you're doing a little bit more proactive seeding information and please, please take information. my information. Please put my information out there. Is the most annoying thing when something comes out that you weren't prepared for it to come out that you were like something that's you're releasing in a week or something, and then all of a sudden you hear hear it anywhere somewhere, and you're yes and no because it depends on what it is. If it's a player announcement, that's fine. It gives you a little bit of a temperature check on how it's going to resonate and maybe how you announce it. When it's things like a coaching announcement and you go to bed thinking that you're announcing it six days later and you're going to announce it and you wake up to news it's leaked in Europe and you have four hours to announce it, we all see what happens. (laughs) It was probably one of the most stressful six hours of my life to wake up to just missed WhatsApp messages and text messages and missed phone calls from your general manager going, we need to get on the phone and announce this, it's leaked. Um, We definitely had a plan. I went to bed the night before, I had Jeff Birding, I had Alex Steck, I had me all on the same page of what we were doing. That would allow us to bring other departments in to get a rollout much better. And then woke up to a lot of missed calls and WhatsApp messages and emails and phone calls that this is leaked and we have to announce today. We like literally said, "Yop, you're getting off this this Zoom call and you're getting on another Zoom call. Here's the info. You need to talk to Alex to record something. We had to edit a video at the last minute. We didn't really have photos at all. Thanks, Getty. And we didn't have a release written. We had the bio part done, but we didn't have quotes. We weren't in much of a rush. We knew there were some government issues that we had to kind of, that was going to be the reason we would leak it. And we were going to use Twelman because ironically, he had reached out about doing asking about something uh, for earlier in the week. And uh, we went into overdrive from 9.45 in the morning until we hit send at 1 p.m. And then, you know, people thought we maybe have used the wrong photo on purpose to get a better, get better impression. 40 chess you guys are playing. (laughs) What's the incentive if it's leaked somewhere else? Like, what's the thought process that, all right, we need to, like, have you missed a window if you don't? I mean, I think it's it's different different mindsets and it's all what your target is. Like there was a very big thought on this, that it could not leak, that we wanted, we wanted to be the one to make the news. So that was the impetus behind this. I, I've been around in this business long enough to understand leaks happen. They almost always start through agents. They almost always start in Europe when there's a European target or an Asian target or an African target involved that's that's how the world works there you have to be prepared for it it is going to leak you have to ignore that and then continue on with your plan like i said it can kind of be a temperature check for you to see how it's going to resonate or how you might need to make your rollout happen uh to the level that you want to i don't mind leaks per se i get frustrated with leaks when i'm hearing through social media or something else that it's something i don't already know and that then I have to go to other people and say, is this legit or is it not? Because uh, it just kind of puts you on the defensive. You're getting all of a sudden media calls of like, hey, do you have a comment on this? And it's something I'm hearing for the first time through a leak on social media. But if I know about it, I can handle it. And I don't really care if there's a leak or not. It almost gives credence to it, kind of backs it up a little bit more, makes it more important that there is value to the leak that has happened. We used to joke in New England that if it was a quote unquote league source, That was probably me leaking it to someone for a reason. Here, there are times we've leaked and it's either been someone on staff, whether it's 
you know, an executive level or a technical level, or whether it's me or someone on my staff kind of getting it out there or either, like I've said, temperature check, trying to get ahead of something, trying to extend the life of a news cycle, trying to give fans good news that we may take a little bit longer to formally be able to get out. Um, Cause just since a guy has signed a contract, that doesn't mean we can announce it. So sometimes you just want the news out before you can actually put it out. Um, but agents do a really, really good job of leaking information. So you try and stay on top of it with them. In the you ever leak to show of, that you're, to show that like, hey, look, we're trying to do X, Y, and Z. Like, oh, FCC's talking to so-and-so and so-and-so. And the fans are like, I will oh, look, only FCC do looks, that sounds like they're trying there, to. Yeah, I will only do that if there's uh, fire where there's smoke. Like if it's just a conversation, it doesn't help anybody. You don't want to get you know, people worked up over something that may not happen. Yeah. But if we were in a stage where it was going to happen and it was just trying to work out final details or we were waiting on, you know, X piece of paperwork. Absolutely. Yeah. So like in this vein, I'm actually intrigued of all the rumors that are out there now that the transfer window is opening because I'm not purposefully talking to anyone to find out what's happening. And no I'm spoilers. like, spoilers. You, you want to see? How no, no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> Um, but I'm intrigued as to what they're going to happen. I've seen how Gerard works. I've seen how Hunter Freeman works. I'm, I'm as much of a fan as anyone right now. Well, you were there for uh, Gaston and uh, and oh, Lucadia, yeah. and both of those things were like roller coasters. And we're like, oh, Lucadia is definitely coming. And someone's like, actually, this paperwork's not. You know, we don't know what the hell's going on. But then you we so, hear we hear little Gaston, things from people. Gaston was the one where there was a lot going on in the background, and I think had certain people. My, to my understanding, at least, if certain people were not involved in that deal, not on the club level, on either club level, that deal would have happened. We started, you know, even to the point of kind of brainstorming how we were going to announce that. Was he going to be, I think we were in Tucson at that point, you know, was he going to get to Tucson? We thought that we had tentative timelines of agreements in place and how everything was going to happen. And then it just fell apart. The Locadia one... I remember we were in Tucson. Gerard was in Am- was in Holland, and we were driving to training one day. And we—I s- don't know if we saw a rumor on Twitter. I think we actually saw his son tweet something, and he happened to little, call little me. Nige, we call him. Yeah, I think we saw him tweet something, and we were in the car, and it was about a half-hour drive from the the resort to the training facility. And we're driving down and either Gerard called me or I called him, but I think he called me. And literally as we're ending the conversation, I said, hey, no, I think he may have said we we have a deal coming. And he gave me generalities that were specific enough that Kevin Noonan was in the back seat, kind of looking at the roster is what he was talking about. And literally we hung up the phone and he's like, well, it's either this dude or this dude, but I'm pretty sure it's this dude because Gerard didn't give us the name. You know, he was still trying to make things happen. It wasn't to the point that it was even like be prepared to do work yet. It was, we may have a signing coming. And we knew Seam was kind of in the background as well. Um, so Jurgen was kind of a little bit of a surprise. And then we got super excited in the car and brainstormed all during training of how to announce him. We got everything done. And we got him announced. We did a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so we signed. I We were able to manage to do uh, his press conference. I was back home to do it. Um, Don't forget about uh, Jurgen's uh, Lacadia intro. And there's another Liz. Uh, I don't even know if you could say conspiracy because the audio is oh there. Everyone hears you, Liz. Have you, have you seen? 
as you guys are going up the escalator, you hear a voice. Some say it's Liz saying, oh, God. Probably. <laughs> do you, well, do you, do you recall was, that? Was that you on the recording it, saying, oh, God. I mean, it probably was. That was, was like, oh, Liz told- is trying to. Take a dump that all was, over this thing. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, that would have been in my lexicon. Um, his arrival was a cluster because there's there's basically two flights from Amsterdam. I think there's one to Detroit and there's one to Minneapolis. So anytime anyone was coming from Amsterdam and we have a ton of people, whether it's players or administrators, coming over from the Netherlands, it's one of those two flights and we're all aware of them. Matt Schisler and I were on our way there to document it. We had to work with CBG. There were DMs going on. There were emails going back and forth of, do we want to welcome him as fans? Do we not? We were all in favor of him being welcomed, but we had to let CBG know. And it was Sunday and something had happened over the weekend that had taken a whole bunch of their staff's extra hours. So they didn't have extra staff to help us staff Jurgen's arrival and they had no bodies for us. So we were super concerned about having potentially a couple hundred people at the airport with the airport not being able to handle it. So we were dealing with this all morning and I wanna say it was a Sunday. It feels right. That we were dealing, which is like just one of the worst possible days to have to deal with this. And finally we got permission. I'm going to the Delta gate. I We rushed through and then we literally, for all of those who are familiar with CBG, it's the second terminal. We I was a baggage ran. handler at CVG, so yes. <laughs> so we were running from security to Terminal B. Shiz can run. I do not run. You're power um, walking away. I will power walk super quickly. I do not run. I had to run, I think it's like a third of a mile. Did Jurgen um, know? When did he know that people were going to... We So Gerard landed, was on his know? flight. We texted Gerard because this was all in motion. And I'm WhatsApping him saying, we are going to be at the gate. Let... Jurgen, no, like I hadn't really talked to Jurgen yet. Well, the damn flight was early and we're on the, the people mover and I see Jurgen cross like 30 feet in front of me and I had to yell from the people mover like Jurgen and he stopped, looked like thankfully Shiz and I both wore FCC gear. He kind of like stopped like, and had to be so like, famous. he had to be like, give me a moment. He ran into the restroom, came out, we met him there, told him what was happening. Like that's our first impression of our DP signing. Um, and then Gerard kind of came off and he just started laughing and chuckling at the whole thing. And we all walked together and we told him, hey, we don't know how many, but we're pretty sure there's a bunch of fans here. Again, because we were in ticketing, we weren't at the baggage level and we had to completely bypass it. So we had no idea who was there. Uh, and I was only trading messages with some supporter group leaders. And so I tried to be the first one up the stairs. And when I saw just how many folks were there, that if it was caught on camera, that was my response of, <laughs> oh, God, there's a lot of people here. And the you're glass half empty was, oh, Liz hates the fans. No, 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 no. <laughs> that was not it at all. It was, oh, there's a lot of people here. He's not quite prepared for this. He's been on he did a look like a, for 12 hours. a deer in the headlights a little bit. Um, and we could only prepare him so much at that point to be like, hey, this is this is Cincinnati. Like, there's a couple hundred people here waiting for you to meet you. And he was super tired. Like, you've got to remember, he landed, I want to say around 5.30, 6 o'clock, something like late afternoon. He was tired. He just wanted his bag. He wanted to get to bed. And it was like, I think my impression of, oh, God, was there was a ton of media there. And there were amazing fans there. It was more just like, I've got to make sure he does this right. And he says, like, he thanks the fans. And I could just tell from, you know, the quarter mile, half mile if he was tired. Um, yeah. But he was a rock star. He did it. We grabbed his bags. 
he did the media interviews. Jeff Birding like literally pulled up at the last second because as again, the flight was early. It all worked out in the end, but you know, Cincinnati fans do a hell of a job. That's not something that's happening in a lot of markets. I will say that, that that's part of the reason that when I had that conversation with Jeff back in January of 18, that made this place special. There's a moment he, he got off the escalator and like, like waves everybody and then like went to get his bag. <laughs> and I'm like watching a live stream. I was like, Oh God, is he going to come back? I didn't know if he was going to come back. And I was just imagining him like just waving, getting his bag and like disappearing. And I'm like, Oh, that would have been, that would have no, been hilarious. I would actually, not but... have let that one happen. Like no. that was one where it was, uh, he was going to have to talk to the fans and he was good about it. Like once he understood what was happening. Yeah. I mean, you could tell he was kind of like, he, like, I, I don't think, bed. yeah, I think it was one of those. You can only so many times, explain to someone you know this is what you what you should expect and he got it and to be fair he's had nothing but great things to say about the city since he's had two bites of skyline he just he has had two bites of skyline we have photo evidence of that and i have witnessed it he didn't i will say this he did not understand why the cheese was orange uh like i said we're still live streaming across the youtube right now with liz summers no, I'm just kidding. That would be cruel, wouldn't it? Um, well, that would have been of, a blatant lie, and you would have been completely knocked off media lists at that point. But I don't have control of those anymore, so we're I, good. I have zero access to anything. Any, you know that list. Don't, don't lie. I have, I have no information. All right, summon yourself, because when you're done with your phone, i got to ask you about the most Sorry. famous tweet you've ever sent in your life. So Unless you're oh, sending God, something yes. more outrageous. Because I would love the opportunity to explain this tweet. We didn't know a lot about you, Liz. You know, you come in out of nowhere no. from doing. I mean, following. I'm a pretty, to be fair, I'm a pretty private person. I don't, I only kind of go out in public when I need to, <laughs> or kind of get in front of cameras or microphones when I have to. It's not one of my favorite things to do. So I was not expecting the backlash to this tweet <laughs> that I got. In your defense, I was like, there could be more gold to unearth in this Twitter timeline, I go back through it. I, I didn't, there was nothing else, nothing else good. I mean, not in you a bad go, way. There was you nothing didn't go else back far uh, enough because there was another grocery store related tweet. <laughs> and I, you and I traded messages earlier this week and I was like, God, if I could only remember what year that was, I could pull it up. And then I never went back. The original one or it. the most recent one? You're talking about the original? No, no, no. The, the one, one you and I are talking about that there is context that I believe needs to be out there is certainly the most discussed Cincinnati Liz Summers related tweet to my knowledge. There so was, it was one it was a, a couple series, of, a long series. You had there's the old a supermarket tw- series. I mean, I, I like to cook. I'm in the supermarket a lot and I am observant, but well, I will say this hold one on. before you know, before you explain yourself, we should set the stage. It was the Christmas Eve Eve. Okay. De- that was a point because I knew there was context to this because it was Christmas time. I was in Williamsburg, Virginia with my family I knew it was in that range. I just 23rd. couldn't remember when my family descended on Williamsburg because that was a key crux of it. And kind <laughs> it's in of my context- screenshots, so anytime I need to go back to it, I get quick access Great. to it. Dear Great. husbands at the grocery store to, this is the part that really hurts, as, as a husband who does a lot of grocery shopping, <laughs> help their wives. You're not helping at all. Please step aside. Who hurt you, Liz? Who was who was in the store that day that really just okay. took the wind out I of your sails? I think the fact that this was December 23rd is key context. December 23rd, you have a lot of families who are getting ready for huge Christmas Eve meals, Christmas Day meals. So correct me if I'm wrong, that might have been a Saturday Christmas. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that. I can't go that far. Regardless, my whole family had descended on Williamsburg, and I am normally the holiday cook. 
So I make a menu and then have to sit there and worry about, is the family going to accept it? Well, they did not accept the menu as soon as they got there. And I had to pivot and plan Christmas Eve meal, which we tend to keep a little bit more low key. So I kind of threw a hissy fit at home and was like, you're on edge already. Exactly. Like you don't understand my family. We had five generations at this Christmas. My grandmother is in her mid nineties still sharp as a tack, still super like acerbic and super sarcastic. Obviously you could tell where the pine cone falls off the pine tree with me. And I was just over it. I was like, well, if you don't want what I've planned, then we're going to the supermarket. One of the issues was that we went to the brand new Publix in Mm -hmm. Williamsburg, Mm -hmm. not the Harris Teeter. The Harris Teeter, we all know, we all know where everything is. You can get in and out. We went to the Publix. There was my two uncles, my mother and I, and the the whole goal was to like get in and get out. I go to the produce aisle and God love the husband that was with this wife. He wanted to help. You wouldn't otherwise be in a supermarket two days before Christmas. And he literally was just standing with the cart in front of like the celery, carrot, spinach, kale area, like huge areas for Christmas meals that you need. And just standing there like scrolling through his phone, not doing anything. And his wife like wasn't following his wife around, wasn't getting stuff, was just had the cart, no understanding of the chaos that's happening around him. And it was like, I needed to get to the carrots that were right behind him. And I think at that point, I was so over needing whatever else. And that it was like, dude, just please move. I was standing there for probably 15 seconds, like politely kind of doing the hover stare to wait for him to like feel my presence and go, oh, I'm so sorry. Your eyes. I, I, can, I can picture it now. There's been times Daggers, in life that's where the bullets expression. come. But this was just like, I did the hover. I did the polite hover. I did the like kind of go behind him, go in front of him. So that is where the story comes from. It I like was how ingrained one, it is too. It's, it's like imprinted. I mean, how many times has this tweet come back to haunt <laughs> me in the last year and a half? To bless um, you, I should say. I mean, hell, you've even immortalized me in song, which is hysterical. I'm sorry if so, I ruined that song. It's, it's a Christmas classic before that. You did not. I found it utterly hysterical. But that is the story behind it. It was just this one, I'm sure, lovely gentleman who just was so unaware of the chaos around him and so ingrained and engrossed in what was happening in his phone. Well, it definitely it definitely read as like a guy, like I imagine, like holding up vegetables and not knowing which was the right one he's supposed to order he's like sweating and he's like no but see that's the story that goes with the first tweet from several years ago because i was in my hometown walking through the dairy aisle and the poor husband is on his phone and calls his wife and he's like babe where do you find the and and i don't remember exactly what it was it's in the tweet we'll say it's like non-fat heavy cream just what he tried to say does not exist at all and I walked by him and heard it. And I was just like, oh, that's not going to end well. But I will say that apparently either Boston College or Revolution fans didn't care as much about the poor folks at a grocery store as much as FC Cincinnati fans do. So I will give we them credit for their- We had a narrative, Liz. So it all just, <laughs> I'm glad I you mean, told the your narrative, story. But we had written yeah, the story of Liz and it went with that tweet. So I mean, uh, there's. I've told people there's a- public perception of me and then once you get to know me i'm an entirely different person so you already said this wasn't true but i had heard um that it was overheard maybe it was somebody just you know pulling pulling the wool over my eyes they said uh oh yeah she said she loathes klr i was like (laughs) fantastic (laughs) i don't know i think as i i think as i told you i have a pretty vast 
vocabulary of adjectives or sure. verbs. Uh, loathe, when you kind of messaged me that, I was like, that's not really one of them. That's not one I would use. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I didn't say that. I will say when I first started here, I did not understand your sense of humor at all. I was like, Few what do. the hell is this? And it was kind of the indoctrination of what the Cincinnati fan is and how invested and how passionate and how avid of fandom there is. To the point that Matt Schisler or Charlie Hatch or Kevin Noonan would sit there and be like, oh, Knifey Line Radio just posted something. And it would become a group like, oh, what is this? Like, let's take a look. Let's watch this as a group viewing. Um, so if you didn't get as many views as you would have hoped, that could be part of us just doing a group viewing and not It's the quality of views, views, not the quantity. Well, we, the, we go straight through. You got full viewing from us. Well, um, I, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but my, my uh, season ticketing rep changed this year. So I don't know if someone's like, get me off. Jonah, I don't want to associate with them. I got a new ticketing rep. I don't know. I, you know, I don't want to start a conspiracy, but I don't well, think they want to be Well, how do you know it wasn't an, like trying to help you get someone potentially better? I, I won't say I can't reveal who was who or who was what, but sure, I'm, I'm all fine for the switch, but I took it personally. I think it was maybe trying to just give more personalized service. How about that? <laughs> sure, sure. I'm an easy customer. I don't do anything. I just have my tickets and I go to the games. Uh, not um, well, difficult at all. But no, like every, I think especially when Mary Lizmus came out, everyone was like, oh, Liz must hate them. But you can ask my entire staff. I died laughing and actually was like half honored that I got immortalized in something. Of course, it was the very tweet that was completely out of context, completely out of context. But I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> Did you see me burn the SEC jersey? <laughs> That was one of my most popular slash least popular videos. I impersonated a crew fan and I burned a jersey. Yes. On... Okay. So the, the that part was a six month long con. I will say this in terms of your brand of humor and satire, the biggest issues that you caused me were people who didn't understand you and who took what you did seriously and thought it was issues that were newsworthy. And it was like, was no, 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 no. I was it's, so it's upset really... that that didn't get more traction. <laughs> this dumb video um, of burning that jersey. Oh, no, it definitely did in Columbus. And at the league level, they reached out and were <laughs> what was going on. And I, you know, had to kind of backtrack and walk it backwards and explain, no, this is a satire site. It's meant for humor. It's a lot of inside jokes. It's not a fan actually burning the jersey. Please understand this. Well, it could have been good promo, like this this rivalry is taking on new meaning. Fans are losing their minds. Oh, oh that's fantastic. Uh, and just and, and then the other thing was when old parody that you would do it would get recycled to common times. Um as if it was current and new and people took it, didn't understand that it was parody and satire and not actual commentary. Those were the two issues that never with you, Jonah, but no. with your work that caused no, uh, the gray hairs separate things. to come out. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, that's great to hear, actually. Yes. Well, I'll I think everyone it. thoughts oh. that you and I were like butting heads where I think the first time we traded messages was like, late April, early May or something. And I thanked you for something. Yeah. Cause you were so mad at me until then. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Couldn't bear the thought of communicating. Plus I like to, keep you were honestly at times like the light in the day of what was going on. Like, Oh, Nike lion radio posted something. Oh, let's stop what we're doing and go take a look. People are started reposting that club seating video. Cause they're running out of club seats. And I was like, yeah, folks, I don't want to, 
<laughs> I don't want to be the pot piper of club seating angry is of anger. So but no, we already be... went through that once this spring. I know that's enough of that. Yeah. And um, last fall. So you said you'd like to stay in the Cincinnati area. I anything... mean, I'm not big on moving, so there's also that whole thing. No, too. I mean that's the worst thing in the world. But it sounds like something you're semi-familiar with. You've been back forth into the middle and back before so i have yeah i don't like packing in fact when i moved here there were still boxes from austin that literally got shipped as was from austin are you trying to stay sports related or not necessarily you don't um i mean i think i'm most comfortable in sports and i think there's a few opportunities out there that are potentials um you know league expansion the leagues had a conversation with me about expansion opportunities the delay that came out a few weeks ago kind of adjusts that a little bit. But I also think I will give a lot of credit to Jeff and Carl and Dennis Carroll for the fact that most of my job at the end in FC Cincinnati, and and when I call the end, it was probably the last 18 months, which flew by, has been mostly kind of corporate and internal communications as opposed to team communications. The running joke was I have literally no idea half the jersey numbers on our team. Like, like I'm so far removed from all of that. And I was doing stadium stuff and community things and marketing opportunities and ticket stuff. And oh, but you're going to be the expansion whisperer now. You could just, you could be, there's going to well, be the enough team for is, the next six years. You could just go. I worked with an expansion NHL team too. So it's like, I really do have a lot of expansion experience. Um, and I enjoy it. And, and the funny thing is like, I feel like there could be a p- potential that sure if I, I well, <laughs> Siri doesn't understand either. So that if I were to go to corporate communications, or, you know, in, in corporate world and non-sports, I may get bored and I have no attention span to start with. So I think sports is where I'd probably prefer to stay. But thankfully, FC Cincinnati has given me so many incredible opportunities that I've got a skill set and a background of experience that could translate well to normal industries. You're so positive. I try to be. See, everyone <laughs> thinks I'm an absolute like nightmare. I've got a lot of cohorts, people that you've probably talked to, friends of mine. We want to be like a plastic consulting group for soccer teams that are starting. It sounds like you've got all the connections, Liz. You could be the, the light that guides us. Oh and we could help set up the fan culture in these new cities and then get paid some absorbent amount of money for our we already have the knowledge built in we've got every aspect covered i mean i feel like when i was in new england and seattle and portland came in they were just like seattle invented soccer and portland invented fandom to combat seattle it was kind of the running joke of seattle fans are the first ever fans and they're the greatest fans ever sure i feel like it's backed off a little bit from them and it's kind of now that they've been around for more than a decade kind of normalized a bit but i will say cincinnati fans are certainly something very special and i think a lot of the cincinnati fandoms at least that i can kind of figure out with the passion in the city and kind of what makes cincinnati so special it comes with the lack of success from a lot of the sports teams Mm. um and this eternal optimism that every year is a new year and that the good things are ahead and that's really unique to cincinnati I'm in not a good dollar way. signs in this, but well, no, because what I'm trying to say is like when you like you come from me from an East Coast major market <laughs> where there's a ton of success that a team finishes second in its division and it maybe is the second seed in the playoffs, and that's a failure. Where Cincinnati fans just want the chance to go to the playoffs and see what can happen. Um, they How long want were you here till you felt 
the anxiety and uh, depression of Cincinnati fans are like, oh, well, there's a little bit of a haze of uh, well, anxiousness. Remember, <laughs> when I got here, it was uh, essentially started May 1 of 2018. So the whole dialogue of the 2018 USL season was that this was a super club being formed. And the results were good, but they weren't great. And it, like I was kind of paying attention during preseason, and I remember some maybe other outlets in the market maybe attacked the results of preseason. And as someone who's worked in sports for so long, you understand that when you bring that many new pieces all together, it takes a bit to get together. Like all these superstars just don't form this cohesive unit instantly. It takes a bit to understand each to know each other. There's off-field things with, with bonding and understanding each other that happen. Then my first game here, which I think was the third or fourth game of the season, was the Louisville game, maybe, or the Pittsburgh game. But I think Louisville, and they lost. And then I came back two weeks later, and it was the Pittsburgh game, which was the tie. And there was a little bit of optimism, but it was still almost kind of like a 500, just above 500 club until a little bit later. And then kind of that early June Red Bulls game kicked it on, and then it just went. So I, I could see pretty early on that fans kind of lived and died by clubs. It was what happened and that set the tone for the commentary for what was going on. So that first kind of two and a half, three months that I was either about to come onto the club or was transitioning into the club to kind of see kind of the, the fan mentality, what was going on. But then from like that Red Bulls game, like I want to say Manu maybe had the game tying goal or something like that on the road. And then just what happened throughout the summer and the rest of the year uh, and into the playoffs was pretty something special. I knew the fans here were were pretty incredible. Talking about the anxiety and depression, <laughs> it's all it's all positive it's spin for you. It's not anxiety and depression. It's hopefulness. No, there's a lot of anxiety. It's, it's hopefulness. It's it's optimism for what could be. It's like um, eternal hope and fatalism at the same time. We managed to hold on to both. We expect the worst, but we're still hoping for. You hope growth. for the best, expect the worst, and are surprised at the best. Well, thank you for talking to me. I know you uh, probably agreed to it, and then you were like, why did I do that? Well, when I saw the message come through, I think you can sit there and go, uh, I don't know how I feel about this. But you did say you make a promise in DM. It holds in real life. It's, it's legally binding. <laughs> it is legally binding. That was stressful was for me, too, when you said yes. And I was like, oh, no, I have to... <laughs> I should think of things to ask beyond just the tweet. I don't have any. It's like an onion. I have many layers. You just have to get down to yes. the, the core center of them. Always ends in tears, though. No, no, that is not true. You said an onion, so. Do you wear contacts? Do you wear glasses? There's ways around that. No, I don't. Well, no. Liz, it's been an absolute treat. Oh, boy. I feel bad for your listeners. You should see. I'll send you a screenshot of my Pro Tools after I do an episode, and it's just like hundreds and hundreds of cuts. I'm like, too long a pause? Nope, nope, nope. So I'll chop this well, up. Well, the good news is the good news is, I tend to talk a lot, so there should not be many pauses you have to fix. <laughs> well, if a giant chunk is missing, just know it was important yeah. to me, but maybe it wasn't important to all your the fans. millions of listeners. No. Well, it. anything else you want to say to the people now that people know you love them when you said, oh, God, it was out of love. And well, shock. I just want I, I just want to say and maybe this is me personally, like I've always been the type of person who has no fear taking the road less traveled. So sometimes you just have to be the person who people don't like. I handle that well, that role very well, <laughs> I think. 
Um, I apparently have played it well in Cincinnati, but behind every person like that, there is a soft heart and a normal human being who understands everything. Hey, I understood that eventually. (laughs) (laughs) We've humanized you, okay? A little bit, a little bit. You know, for those who aren't paying attention to West End Stadium, like you guys are in for an amazing treat. It is like, there is no picture, no video that can adequately express just how close every seat in that building is going to be to the field. I've been in every single MLS stadium that's open so far, and there is no stadium like it inside the stadium, around the stadium, underbellies of the stadium, you know, give credit to Carl Lindner, Jeff Birding, Cody Parsons have taken a huge lead on this project. It is going to be something incredibly special in this market. Uh, I can't wait to watch a game there. You're going to go to a game there? You're going to show yourself? I hope so. Um, I actually, now, as I just said that, I probably (laughs) should call Jeff Smith and think about some kind of ticket option for next year. I think the next few weeks, you know, the next few months, depending what happens with the MLS season, could be pretty telling and pretty interesting for Cincinnati fans. Yeah, you I said think, we're signing Mario Goza. That's what you said before we started. I did not no, say that. <laughs> Rumors, leaks. I said I wanted to see how just much was happening. Let's well, um, not said anything about anything. I'm just messing with. Nope. Um, I've purposely not asked my former staff about what's going right, on. Right, no spoilers. We, we got that. Nope. You want to be ex- uh, I do not want to be the leak, but I think there's something really special happening here. And I think Cincinnati fans uh, are justifiably proud. All right. Well, thanks for the millionth time. No problem. Anytime.
Oh my God. 